0: Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Beginning today, the WDET News team is going to examine the role that politics and policy play in educating Michigan's children. We're beginning a series called Policy Meets the People, and we'll look at how elected officials and policymakers' decisions impact your life And influence your vote. Tune in to Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and Detroit Today. And you can check out all the reporting at WDET.org. In 2014, Michigan became the largest state with a Republican-dominated state government to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Now, many of the same Republicans in Lansing who helped create the Healthy Michigan program are working to require Medicaid recipients to work for their benefits legislation cleared the state Senate last week. It would require able-bodied people to complete an average of 29 hours of work or job training or education each week to get Medicaid health coverage. There are some exceptions, including for disability, pregnancy, and age. Also, some people could qualify for a waiver, such as a parent with a child under six years old and caretakers for someone with a disability. But... This legislation follows along with the thinking that poverty carries with it a stigma of laziness and even grifting, and that the poor are somehow a burden on our government and our economy. We're going to spend the hour today talking about the proposed changes to Medicaid and poverty more generally, a little later in the program, we'll hear from one of the sponsors of this legislation in Lansing, and we'll talk with a social service advocate who opposes the bill. But first, Shayna Roth is the Capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. She has been covering the bill in the legislature. Shayna, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hey, Steven. Yeah. Uh,
0: also, if you want to join the conversation here, talk to us about what you think about the idea of working for Medicaid benefits. What do you think of the idea of making poor people work to receive the kinds of supports that they do from government. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag DetroitToday, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Shayna, update us on where we are with this bill. It passed the state senate. Uh, where does it go next?
1: So next, we are waiting for it to have a House committee hearing. Um, I checked the schedule this morning. So far, I'm not seeing it on the Gong War schedule or in the committee schedules, but that doesn't mean that they won't uh, stick it in there this week. Usually, they get kind of their uh, finalized committee hearings and things like that planned on Monday. Um, after that, it will have to go to the House for a full House of Representatives vote. Um, The Speaker of the House, Tom Leonard, has said through his spokesperson that he supports the bill in concept. Um, He hadn't had a chance to look over it yet as it had just uh, passed last week. And then it would go on to the governor's desk. If it does indeed pass the House of Representatives, it would go to the governor's desk where it could very likely hit uh, a roadblock and potentially a veto signature.
0: And give us the context for the discussion here. As I said in the open, we were the largest Republican-dominated state to embrace Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act that comes with a lot of extra costs, and there are some deadlines looming about how those costs will be taken care of. I imagine that that's one of the drivers uh, of, of this discussion, but also there is this Long-time narrative in Lansing uh, and in Washington, in fact, about the role that benefits like this, supports like this, play in people's lives, and the idea of of poverty is this sort of a perfect storm of those two things.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are definitely sort of what the two sides are kind of saying about this. So you have the Republicans who are in favor. And there was one Republican who voted against it in the Senate, along with all of the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, So what the Republicans and those in favor are saying is, look, healthy Michigan is going to collapse if we don't do something about it soon, uh, because there's this provision that is triggered if state costs outweigh the savings. Um, so they're arguing that this is a way to save healthy Michigan by, you know, ensuring that everybody is working and, you know, putting themselves into the economy and potentially getting off of these benefits at some point. Um, and then you also have uh, organizations like the Michigan Chamber of Commerce and other business groups who are in favor of the legislation. And they say that, you know, this is this, – we understand that, that a lot of people on Medicaid already work. This is about making sure that everybody who can work does work. It will boost the economy. And you know it will really encourage and help those extra people to uh, join the workforce. That's kind of what that one side is saying. Mm-hmm. But then you have the Democrats and people who are against this, a lot of advocacy groups who are saying, look, you're furthering this idea that poor people don't want to work, that, that they are just willing to just sort of sit back and enjoy these benefits without doing anything for it. And they're saying that's not the case. What really happens is those people who aren't working are, or are, or maybe they are working, but they're not meeting those 29 hours, is because maybe they're doing seasonal work, or they're working in minimum wage jobs where their employers, you know, their hours are sporadic and mm-hmm. they can't always guarantee to get that a number of hours, or maybe they have some sort of disability or difficulty that is not covered under this bill, so they would still be kicked off, but it's they have a good reason for it. And then you have others who say, "Look I, I'm a parent, maybe my kids are eight years old. they still can't babysit themselves, but it doesn't the cost analysis doesn't really work out for me to pay for health for childcare and go to work at a minimum wage job so there's they're saying that you know that there's all of these factors that this bill doesn't take into account when it comes to the real uh, lives of people who are on Medicaid.
0: Right. Uh, the, the other thing that, that strikes me here is uh, the cost of taking health benefits from somebody who is in one of these situations. So let's say you pick up 29 hours a week in order to, to, to work, uh, or if you don't, um, the idea of taking your health coverage from you creates other costs, doesn't it? Doesn't it, doesn't it build some other costs into the system?
1: Yeah. And that's and that's absolutely an argument. You know, they're saying that if you take away more people's health care, then, you know, those sort of catastrophic uh, costs from, you know, all of the ER visits that these people are going to end up using, uh, ambulance visits or, you know, just various you know, doctors' visits because they're not going to go until they're until it's a dire situation, and those cost more. The argument is that it saves the state money to give them health insurance and make sure that they, you know, sort of maintain a healthy lifestyle. Right. Um, cost-wise, the other concern that people are saying is that you know there's there's a there's an oversight cost to something like this because people would have to show. That they are working but the twenty nine hours, yeah. right? And and that and they're going to have to report in monthly, which is difficult, you know, for for a lot of the working poor as it is to sort of make sure that they are updating that status. But there's also the sort of government oversight costs, and they're projected to cost the state about twenty to thirty million dollars a year in those administrative costs, and that's according to the nonpartisan Senate Fiscal Agency. But even that agency said, you know, it's difficult to estimate how many people this is going to impact, and how much this is really going to cost in real dollars.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Shana Roth. She's a capital reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We are talking about the bill that passed the state Senate last week that would require Medicaid recipients, a lot of Medicaid recipients, to go find work to maintain their benefits. 29 hours a week is what the Senate says they should have to work in order to receive Medicaid. Uh, We're talking about Uh, the idea of working for state support. Not a new idea, not a new idea by a long shot, not a new idea from Republicans by an even longer shot. Is that the right way to deal with poverty? Is it the right way to deal with government services like Medicaid? Michigan is one of the states that expanded Medicaid coverage in 2014 as part of the Affordable Care Act. There are huge costs associated with this. Uh, The state Senate says this is one way to try to rein in those costs, uh, is that uh, the right thing to do to make sure that people are working and contributing uh, if they get government benefits, or is this a way of punishing the poor for their circumstances? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones, as always, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Shane, I want to ask you about uh, what the alternatives might be to this. Are Democrats talking about other ways to come up, uh, to come up with the money that, uh, that we're going to need uh, to sustain this Medicaid expansion uh, into the future, or are they just pushing back against this Republican idea?
1: you know i haven 't really heard a lot of um alternatives for how to uh, you know maintain the healthy Michigan program. I think a part of it is um that they are really focused on just uh, battling against this. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not trying to come up with some things behind the scene, but, you know, when it comes to floor speeches and and, th- and talking points during interviews, the focus is really on this is not the way that our state should be handling this. This mm-hmm. is not the way that um, the state should be treating people on Medicaid, and it's not something that is going to work because, and then they sort of float back to those unknown administrative costs and oversight costs and all the other uh, costs potentially associated with something like this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I don't mean to make light of that issue either. I mean, when you think about what impact uh, this this program will have ultimately on the on the state government's coffers, I mean, it's a it's a big it's a big concern that's sort of looming out there.
1: Absolutely. And, and you know, when you talk to um, Senator Shirky or other Republicans, they're saying that, you know, this is a way to save healthy Michigan, that, you know, a lot of people are benefiting from this. And, you know, sort of what they're asking is for a certain amount of people to essentially do their part and to, you know, make sure that they're working and to, you know, sort of chip in in order to make sure that this program is not closed down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, as always, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Especially, want to hear uh, from you if you are a low income person. Uh, think about the stigma that gets attached to that status in our society. Think about how often government is talking about changing the requirements of your life to maintain uh, your lifestyle, to maintain basic assistance that that you get. Uh, what is that stigma? mean to you? Do you receive Medicaid or any other kind of public assistance? And what do you think of these proposed requirements to work 29 hours a week? As always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Titan Mark says on Twitter, the issues people don't talk about are the growing demographic of generational, comfortable poverty. Also, with decades of Detroit babies born to single mothers with vast majority already in poverty, culture change and policy change is needed. Uh, Titan Mark, thank you for that comment. Let's go to Kayleen in Plymouth. Kayleen, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hi, Stephen. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, just so you know, I, I listen and every day I love your show. Oh, and, thank you. Um, <laughs> So basically, to give you a premise, I'm a single mother, full-time graduate student. Um, I work probably 25 hours a week, and my son is, you know, he's full-age, and I receive Medicaid, and it's just kind of, it's frustrating to think that they're going to require I I work just four more hours, or I don't receive Medicaid anymore. Um, You know, I... I feel like I'm already stretched so thin with scheduling that it sure. would really impact my life and my son's life.
0: And and if you were to work those other four hours, for instance, what would mm-hmm. what would that require? Would would you have to find uh, uh, care for your for your child, for instance, during those hours?
2: Yeah, exactly. And so then resources are spread even thinner. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one who faces that same challenge um, with. Maintaining employment, or going to school, or anything else like that.
0: Uh-huh. And and what are you in school studying?
2: I'm at Wayne State studying counseling and art therapy. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's a graduate program that really requires a lot of attention. Um, so it's it's just frustrating. And, you know, and that I am trying to further myself. Right.
0: I mean, I was going to say, I'm assuming you want
2: more. I'm assuming you're yeah. doing
0: that so that you can get a job that pays you more than what you would.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. And you would people, well, you know, are making these attempts, but then they're still going to have to meet these,
0: right?
2: You know, state specifications.
0: Right. Yeah. Go ahead, Shana.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and and actually, you would probably be okay because it's not just work; it's work or job training or education. Um, so, depend. So, you'd have to do twenty nine hours total, and I don't know what your schedule is like of um, education. So, so your classes and um, your job, or just education, or just job. Um, so you'd probably be okay, however, you would have those additional reporting requirements. Right,
0: right. Uh, Killeen, uh, thanks very much for listening and calling in, and, uh, and good luck with your studies, of course. Uh, let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Hi, hi, Steve. I, hi. I love your show. Um, Thank you. Can, can the last reporter just tell us how many hours those, those legislators work, uh, a week and a year? <laughs>
0: Sweet, thank you. Well, that's a great question, Jay. I'm glad you called uh, and asked that. Shana Roth, the 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 number of hours <laughs> that uh, that folks work in Lansing has been an issue uh, yeah. also for a while. <laughs> you got a lot of folks who say that they really are part timers and probably should be paid that way. Uh, talk about though, again, the, the, this this narrative that somehow the poor are burdening uh, government and the economy in a way that others. Or not, I think if you look uh, at the schedules of legislators, that might be <clears throat> one of the ways that you sort of measure. How hard do people really work for government? Uh,
1: <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> say specifically how hard they're working. Um, I do know that we are still considered a full-time legislature. That yeah. part-time uh, legislative initiative is not going anywhere. Sure. Um, however, it's interesting that you bring up... Uh, lawmakers working because during uh, floor speeches, uh, you know, the debate before the vote in the Senate, Senator Curtis Hartel uh, essentially stood up and and as part of his speech, he said lawmakers should also be required to work 29 hours a week in order to get health (laughs) care. And he said, quote, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Mm -hmm. Why tell working poor people that they have to live in a different standard than we live than we in this lavish building do? So he was really also kind of getting at that, you know, that there shouldn't be these two standards for uh, the people out there, the people that they serve um and them and i think that it it's possible that especially when you consider all of the you know the different sort of quote-unquote in district work periods or breaks that they take they Mm -hmm. don't uh come to lansing so much during the summer they have hunting season they have easter they have you know (laughs) quite a few holidays in there um it's possible that they would not hit that 29 hours a week and of course it depends on if you count fundraising as work or not
0: right right okay shana roth capital reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network, as always, thanks for t- uh, joining us here on Detroit Today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to speak with the bill's sponsor, State Senator Mike Shirkey. He also happens to be the Republican who had the biggest influence on passing Medicaid expansion in Michigan in 2013. And don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out entirely. You can go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today and uh, take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking this hour about a bill that recently passed the Michigan Senate to require Medicaid recipients under many circumstances to work to receive their benefits. Mike Shirky is a Republican from Clark Lake who represents Michigan's 16th Senate District. He was one of the architects of Michigan's Medicaid expansion bill under the Affordable Care Act. He's now the sponsor of the bill to put Medicaid recipients to work. Senator Shirky, welcome to Detroit Today.
4: Stephen, I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. So give me a sense of why you think people who receive these Medicaid benefits should work.
4: Well, there's a couple of dimensions. First of all, if, if you go back to the history and the core reason Medicaid was created, it was for uh, very, very low income, elderly, disabled, and children. And over time, it's morphed into a, a bigger cohort of population than that. Right now, we have quite about 2.5 million people in the state of Michigan enrolled in Medicaid. The workforce engagement requirement that we've got through the Senate this past week would likely apply to about 300 to 350 thousand of that 2.5 million. These are, by definition, able-bodied folks who are either not engaged in the workforce or marginally engaged in the workforce. I want to speak uh, actually directly to the uh, notion of 29 hours.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: As you know, Stephen, you've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legis- legislation is a is a process, and oftentimes it includes negotiation. My full expectation is that the workforce engagement requirement for Medicaid will end up looking much like what Michiganders already do to qualify for food stamps, for instance, which is closer to 20 hours okay. on an average per week. And so people shouldn't get too excited about the 29, because it was just the first stage of probably a five- or six-stage process. So, And then the other part about Medicaid that we have to keep in mind is that it's at its core, besides that those four uh, subgroups I identified, is its purpose mm-hmm. is to help maintain or improve health. And study after study demonstrates that one of the most important things a person can do for their health, and in and in particular their family's health, is to be you know engaged in uh, in productive work. I believe that the gal that was on before, just before me, I was enjoying listening to that mom who is going to school and working. Uh, and Shannon was correct; she would be exempted, and I'd be ha- I'm happy to say she'd be exempted. And the fact of the matter is, Stephen, if after we've been uh, implemented this uh, workforce engagement requirement, if all 350,000 people that are, that are likely going to be eligible for it mm-hmm. are working 10 to 20 more hours a week than they're working today and still remain on Medicaid, that would be an unequivocal success, not a failure, a success.
0: OK, here's a question that I have Here, for sir. you. So Here, uh, back in uh, 2011, I believe it was, yep. uh, the legislature passed a very large tax shift in the in the state that resulted in about a one point eight billion dollar tax cut to businesses in yep. in Michigan. Did you uh, you were in the legislature then? Um, yes, sir. Uh, did you vote? Huh. You voted for that that measure?
4: Yes. Yes, sir
0: why didn't you then at that point say well this is f- the idea behind that that legislation was to create jobs to to right. get people more excited businesses more excited about the idea of hiring more workers why would you not have in that legislation according to the same thinking that you're using here with medicaid why wouldn't you have said well we'll give the tax break to businesses that actually create jobs but we won't give it to businesses that don't in other words, the standard of accountability that you're applying here to Medicaid recipients wasn't applied to business owners in 2011. Why not?
4: Well, I, I think you're largely mistaken there. Uh, there most of the incentive programs that we've created in Michigan since Governor Snyder took place, they've been based upon proving the economic viability of them. But this wasn't a, this Michigan wasn't jobs. a tax.
0: In, I'm not talking about the incentives. I'm talking uh, about the overall tax cut—a billion eight that was yeah. given to businesses in tax cuts. Just your taxes look different because right. you're a business. How come right. all of those businesses weren't asked to prove that they were creating jobs?
4: Well, it was a requirement upon our part to make sure that we improved the environment in Michigan for so people who want to make investments so we can enjoy what we're enjoying today, Stephen. And that is a nearly full employment uh, state. And if we hadn't done that, that would not have happened.
0: Right. But but this, but there were businesses that got that tax break that haven't grown, haven't uh, expanded their payrolls. Why did they deserve the benefit then?
4: Are you kidding me? Haven't grown? Haven't uh, uh, stayed in Michigan? Haven't continued to invest? Are you kidding me? All that money has been reinvested in Michigan, which is the reason why we're enjoying the economic activity we're enjoying today.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, and I guess I'm getting at something larger here, which is that it always seems— that yeah. when we talk about accountability and government dollars, when we talk about holding people more responsible, we're always talking about the poor. We're never talking about high-income people. We're never talking about businesses. What do you think accounts for that?
4: I, I completely reject that notion. I think we, particularly in Michigan, we have, we're, have high accountability now for the kinds of incentive packages that we've created uh, since Governor Snyder's been in office. So I... I just reject the notion altogether, Stephen. Uh,
0: you don't. You you feel as though you feel as though businesses are held to the same kinds of standards as the poor.
4: Well, businesses. We have an. Obli- I have, I'm a business owner. I have an obligation to pay my fair share of taxes. I don't have to be account- held accountable for, to pay my fair share of taxes, but, but it's incumbent upon all of us to want our taxes to be competitive so that we can have the environment, the economic environment we have today. So. Mm-hmm. I think there are apples and oranges comparison. I know that there are folks, I guess like you, that, that try to com- combine the two. This mm-hmm. isn't a punitive. This isn't punitive. This is this is all. This is about making sure that we do have the resources to be able to support those that really do need it, yeah. and to and put a little bit of encouragement into those that you know, with a little bit of. Uh,
0: yep, I think we're losing you there, Senator. I, I, oh, I, there you. Are. Are you still there, Senator? Yes, sir. I'm okay, sorry, I, we we lost you there for a second. Um, um, I, I want to ask you one one more sort of philosophical question here before uh, we get to uh, some phone calls. Uh, and again, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. The the cost. No one denies that Healthy Michigan has added uh, real costs to the Medicaid program and therefore to the to the state budget. Why, why not try to find other places uh, to, f- to support that program, other, other uh, means of either revenue or cost cutting, than looking at the recipients themselves? I mean, and I think that lends itself to, to some of the criticism that this is uh, targeting poor people. So, so let me give you an example. Michigan, for instance, pays, uh, spends $2 billion a year. Uh, on incarceration, um, the, the the criminal justice budget, uh, okay. way more than what other states in this region uh, pay for it. Uh, why, we could we could probably make up a good deal of the expansion for Medicaid by moving the prison budget more in line. Why not focus on something like that rather than going after, as you point out, just a few people? Uh, who are recipients of, of uh, Medicaid to try to make them shoulder that burden?
4: Well, I think it's an excellent question, but I'm disappointed that we haven't been able to communicate enough to you and others that don't see what's actually happened in Michigan in the last, again, in the last six or seven years. Mm-hmm. We've, we've, we've reduced our patient population by nearly 10,000. And so the, the notion that we've not paid attention to that I think is, you know, is, uh, is, is is quite frankly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We have reduced the population and the, and the associated costs by that amount. But I think you may have missed, maybe I was going under a tunnel or something when I was earlier, yeah. you may have missed an important point, Stephen.
0: Okay, go ahead. I
4: don't care. I don't care if all 350000 will be eligible for the workforce requirement. I don't care if they stay on that. Account.
0: Yeah, you, you said that, right. Yeah, uh...
4: it would it'd be, it'd be viewed as a wonderful success. And so... You know, when I'm talking to folks around Medicaid, I'm talking about able-bodied. I'm not talking about people who are uh, disabled and are are very, very, very low-income or can't work or Mm -hmm. mentally mentally challenged. I'm talking about, I ask them, is Medicaid a valuable asset to you or your family? Mm -hmm. And the answer is always yes. It's always yes. Sure. And so I say, so tell me, why would you let it lapse? It's a combination of uh, work, of education, of training. Uh, any combination thereof, hitting to twenty, it'll probably end up at twenty hours a week on average. We've even got exemptions in the bill, so for when life happens. Right, right. So it's an average of time, average of twenty over a period of time, and in the, in the and you can have up to forty hours a month of of of, uh, of absence in that because of just things that life happens. And so I I just completely reject the notion that people think that this is picking on uh, poor people. It's just the opposite. We we're I'm trying to do my best to keep those those benefits still within reach so that they can engage in the workforce and hopefully hopefully find a way to to find an employer that you know they've they proved their worth to them and they can they can then prosper. So I and by the way, tell me a business that you know of that doesn't have a for a for hire sign in the window. I mean we haven't if the governor's plan for the Marshall Plan to train up eight hundred thousand people to higher level skills and higher paying jobs Every one of those 800,000 people will be vacating a job. We have to free up our labor force. We, remember, right now, when when I ran for office and was elected, the issues were high taxes, uh, low sales, low demand for my products, too
0: much regulation.
4: When I ask businesses today what are their top priorities, they don't say any one of those three. They talk about
0: yeah. getting workers. Yeah, no, there's no All question about, workers.
4: about that. And yeah. So, you know, we have an obligation, I believe, on a regular basis in, in the legislature. To review policies, practices, laws, et cetera, to make sure that there are no, we're not we're not unintentionally creating disincentives or, or, or reasons for people to not engage, and this is one of them. Hmm. So, it is a this by the way this is a uh, a largely bipartisan supported bill. You know, almost in every survey we've taken over the last three years.
0: Well, but it only passed in with in the,
4: in the,
0: in the, no right, Democrats everybody. voted for no Democrats well, voted for it. So well,
4: I I don't really understand that because it has it uh, polls that's between seventy five and seventy eight percent across the
0: state. Oh, you're saying you're saying bipartisan among voters, right? Okay, right, I get it. exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, again, 1019 uh, is the number on the phones. My guest is Senator Mike Shirky. He is a sponsor of a bill to require that some Medicaid recipients work up to twenty nine hours a week uh, to receive their benefits. Uh, you can also go to the Twitter. Uh, uh, put some comments there under, under the hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation or go to Facebook, our Facebook page, put your comments there. Uh, let's go to Hamid in Dearborn Heights. Hamid, welcome to Detroit
3: Today. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Sure. You know, uh, I have to tell you that I uh, do agree with some of the uh, 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 comments that uh, Senator Shirky had uh, made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am uh, a Democrat, and in this case, There really has to be a culture uh, change because a lot of the patients, um, I know at least about the pregnant patients who are, uh, I am an OBGYN, who come to my office, uh, they have to go through some sort of training to build a resume, to look for a job. And the people at the health department, and they don't want to do that. They don't want to go and learn about these skills sometimes mm-hmm. and the people at the health department they go they say go to your doctor and ask them for a note that you cannot go mm-hmm. you have to educate those people also not to encourage so, these patients who are Medicaid recipient to uh, do that yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and also educate the patient that I I try to do some of that in my office I said listen this is good for your future you go there you learn computer skills they have to go there 20 hours a week, just sit down and listen to, your, to, to the lecture. And they are often at the level where they give them these privileges, they encourage them not to do that and go to your doctor. And you can say no once, twice, three times, four times, and you keep losing those patients. And obviously, no good business wants to lose the patients.
0: Right. H- Hamid, I, I really appreciate uh, your call and and your comments. I'm not sure that I necessarily uh, equate the presence of supported healthcare, for instance, a government-assisted healthcare, with this this idea of work ethic. But, but, I, I, but obviously, you're somebody who's on the front line, seeing patients uh, every day and... And, and dealing with Medicaid patients, so so you you know a lot about that, and I, I, I really appreciate the uh, uh, the call and the comments. Let's go to Jeff in Gross Point. Jeff, welcome to Detroit today.
5: Hi, Stephen. Yep, Thanks for taking ahead. my call. Sure. Um, so uh, you made a comment uh, a few minutes ago about about you know how this how some some of these rules affect the poor and not necessarily the privilege. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not that I'm super successful, but I'm a small business owner. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to my accountant over the weekend um, and he advised me that I did get this tax benefit and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I don't plan on growing or anything like that whatsoever. That's not in our, that's not in our plan or anything like that. So okay. there's no, there's no proof that we had to show that we were going to reinvest money or anything like that you got the benefit yeah so so so,
0: but but tell me why tell me why you're not uh expanding or hiring
5: uh just it's tough to find some of the tough to find some of the work to remain competitive we're an i.t company Mm -hmm. and it's kind of we're a small i.t company and it's kind of hard to compete with a lot of the big ones that are out there the global uh uh, global kind global companies that are out there that that kind of Push, push, push smaller, push smaller shops around a little bit these days. So huh. just kind of tough to find the work and tough to find the the help. Um, yeah, well, affordable help around here. Right, so.
0: and, and yet as you point out, you you got this tax benefit that uh, uh, that the state passed uh, six or seven years ago. This this big break for 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 businesses. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to shy it away at all, but yeah, there's nothing we had to do Yeah, Senator Shirky, uh, here's someone who's exemplifying exactly what I was talking about earlier, which is that you guys gave a, a, a tax break to all businesses, regardless right. of whether they were going to expand or not, and didn't say, well, you know, they should be held accountable. W- what do you say to, to Jeff's example there?
4: I think Jeff's spot on, and I think that I've expressed it pretty clearly before, and that is that there's there's nothing nothing to be held accountable for in terms of paying your fair share of taxes. If a state or a jurisdiction decides to have uncompetitive taxes, they will suffer the consequences. We recognized that we were uncompetitive. We were being we were by kept ta- by our tax structure, creating obstacles for capital investment and deployment of of investment in in Michigan, and so that was it was the right thing to do and. In and in, in a free market in, uh, environment where people are free to deploy their capital, when you reduce taxes, you get better economic activity, which is exactly what we've achieved. And so,
0: we've gotten the better one, The
4: notion that one has to be held accountable—I mean, the only thing we're held accountable to is paying our fair share of taxes. Which, by the way. We
0: do. Well, I I mean, I think a lot of people would argue that that businesses are not necessarily paying their fair share of taxes after that reduction. But I would also point out that since that reduction, what we've seen in terms of funding for state government each year has been less and less each year. You guys are scrambling to fill. Uh, to fill holes in the revenue side of things because partially because of tax credits that are outstanding and the, the sort of crazy programs that we had before but also because uh, the business tax is just not yielding the money that it used to to pay for services uh, th- this idea that that all you're doing is uh, is you know adjusting the fair share I guess uh, that businesses, uh, are, are asked to pay is is maybe not addressing the full picture what it's also doing is depriving state government of the ability to, de- to deliver the services that people need
4: well i beg to differ my friend i mean if we would take a look at just one line item in the state budget and that is revenue from income mm-hmm. that has grown dramatically
0: uh, on and- the backs of seniors who now pay the income tax right
4: Oh, there's another talking point that you're misguided on. I'm afraid, but we can probably <laughs> wait for we can probably wait for another time to talk. Which, I, by the way, I really appreciate being able to do. Because
0: no, I do need, appreciate you need, being here.
4: You need fairness and balance in the conversation as well. So, <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm an interesting guy. I, I saw <laughs> the need for us to expand eligibility on Medicaid to the working poor, and uh, that was a time when, when the growing ranks of people uninsured was just uh, skyrocketing. And our cost of uncompensated care was also skyrocketing, affecting all of our costs of health care and our insurance costs and so forth. So we very carefully crafted the package to expand eligibility. Uh, and we put some safeguards in it so that if the savings that are stipulated in statute don't equal or exceed the cost, then the program stops. And that is another reason why this is important, because if we don't change the trajectory of growth in healthy Michigan... Um, it'll, it'll, it'll force itself to be, to be uh, discontinued, and I don't want that to happen. I don't think it's the right thing to do. We have an interesting uh, uh, transition in our, in our economy right now. We've got a lot of folks, and this is not a derogatory economy. We have a lot of folks that are, that are in jobs that, that uh, are important. But they don't necessarily pay enough to to enjoy uh, healthcare benefits because healthcare is so darn expensive
0: now. Mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think we have this we have a bridge to bridge the time where we get through this kind of a, kind of a crew through it and a, a, attribute through it so that you know we train up higher level higher skilled folks to, to have enough money or work for companies that can provide healthcare. But in the meantime, we've got this this uh, bridge time to, to uh, get through it. That's the reason why I chose to support uh, painfully. Chose to support
0: uh, the expanded eligibility
4: yeah. because I can still show you the scars, Steve.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you. I'm sure you can. Uh, State Senator Mike Shirkey, Republican from Clark Rake, uh, represents the Michigan's 16th Senate District. Thanks very much for being here with us on welcome, Detroit sir. today. All uh, right. Have a great day, sir. Mm-hmm. You great. too. Up next, we're going to talk with an advocate for the poor and impoverished who is against the Republican move to make Medicaid recipients work for their benefits. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones, Alan in Royal Oak, Maria and Navonia Asanavi in Detroit. We will get to you next. We'll be back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. The Michigan League for Public Policy Advocates advocates not just for the poor, but for policy that might help lift people out of poverty. Republicans in the state legislature claim that's the goal of their work for Medicaid bill. Joining us now is Gilda Jacobs the executive director of the Michigan League for Public Policy and a former state lawmaker to explore what effects it might have on our state's most vulnerable citizens. Gilda, welcome to Detroit Today.
6: Good morning. Thank you for having me. Sure.
0: Uh, I don't know how much uh, you heard of the interview with Uh, Senator Mike Shirky, who uh, was just on before you. Yeah, just caught the
6: tail end, unfortunately.
0: So we were talking about uh, this idea of of making Medicaid recipients work, uh, in many cases up to 29 hours a week. But we were also talking about the larger sort of context of this conversation, this idea of who the poor are uh, and what should be expected of them for for state assistance. Now, I'll say up front that uh, Senator Shirky deserves a lot of credit for the work he did to make Medicaid expansion work here yep, in the state yep. of Michigan. I mean, he took I pat oh, him
6: on the back. I think it's a, wonderful. <laughs> a ton
0: of political risk <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in in his party uh, to do that, but here, what he's saying uh, seems to be in conflict with what we know. I think uh what we know about the poor and their circumstances uh this idea that there are able-bodied people who should work who don't uh, and still receive these benefits there is this narrative of uh laziness or grifting that uh that accompanies this 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 narrative and it's it's not new it's not just with Medicaid. This has been something we've been talking about for a long time in Michigan and in the country.
6: So, um, first of all, let's be really clear that these this proposal takes away health coverage, okay? and And it takes away health coverage from people who don't meet very rigid work requirements. Mm-hmm. I think we all can agree we want people to work. We, you know, it, it, it's an important. It's important to dignity, as, as the senator uh, speaks to, uh, and it's important for our economy. However, um, the way that this bill c- creates um, sort of a disincentive, they're throwing people off of off of health care,
7: mm-hmm.
6: really um, doesn't address a person's um, health coverage if um, they need assistance to get to work, they need child care. Um, that's really what's going to really help people. It's a, be- a better solution to helping people who can work to succeed if we look at giving them assistance with childcare, transportation, mm-hmm. and job training. The bill does not speak to this at all. What it is is punitive. It takes away health coverage. And there's all sorts of data that support the fact that if you are not healthy, you have a, um, a worse chance of succeeding at a job or getting a job. And there's lots of information and data that's out there that I wish I wish the legislature would be more data-driven to look at this, as well as to see the unintended consequences, if you will. There's a wonderful article in Bridge Magazine, mm-hmm. um, uh, that was uh, that was just published. Um, and the interesting thing about this is that um, people who are working, actually because of the stringent um, number of hours that, that are there, the, the people that are working perhaps in multiple jobs are going to end up losing their health care coverage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't believe that is the legislative intent here at all. So I think this is, you know... <laughs> As often as I see legislation um, uh, that is being, you know, promoted it is like a, a solution to a problem that really uh, doesn't exist. Uh, if we take a look at the folks that are on Medicaid or Healthy Michigan, you know, and the Healthy Michigan uh, program, half of them are uh, employed or self-employed. And then you kind of carve out, well, who's um, – Who's not? We look at students. We look at retirees. We look at people who have a physical impairment or a, a, a mental impairment. You know, we're we're not looking at, you know, people who are trying to uh, beat the system by getting health care.
0: Right. Uh, and one of the things that's frustrating, I think, about <clears throat> this conversation when we have it is the lack of attention to the opportunity side of the ledger. And you think about the kind of things that actually work to lift people out of poverty, mm-hmm. education, uh, job training, those right. kinds of things. Uh, Michigan has done a really poor job of building those things up and supporting them at the same time that it now wants to say, if you are on Medicaid and not working, somehow you are lazy and we want to want to kick you off. It, it, it seems as though we're always in this space and never in the space of saying, well, here are the ways that mm-hmm. we can really help people not be poor.
6: Absolutely. We need to be proactive. <laughs> and, you know, this is, you know, what I always like to point out uh, is that this is a problem that is not just in our urban areas, but in our rural areas as well. And, and you know, these people, whether they're health problems or barriers to work are every place in our state Mm -hmm. for people who are in poverty and who are struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that narrative gets lost oftentimes as, as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know and, and the other thing is, like, kids are really affected by this because when their parents lose the benefits, their benefits, then it really also impacts the family and the, the health and well-being of the family um, as well. So, um, you know, this is really, really very poor public policy at a time when we should be looking for ways to get people, you know, into, and it's not just getting a job check, you know, it's getting a job where you can support your family right. without having to work two or three part-time jobs.
0: Right. And without, without the assistance that, that so many people need. I mean, this idea of the working poor and the way that has changed and expanded yep. uh, over the last 20 years is really remarkable. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some uh, phone calls here. I've got a lot of folks who sure. want to join the conversation. Let's go to Mary in Washington, D.C. Mary, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you?
7: Good. I'm with the Urban Institute, a uh, nonpartisan research institution that does a lot of um, uh, policy research on uh, equity issues. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to call uh, folks' attention. If they really want to see some good research on good policy, they should look at uh, a recent report we just issued on work requirements and lessons from, uh, for Medicaid, Medicaid work requirements from the temporary assistance for needy families and SNAP programs, SNAP being food stamps, Mm -hmm. Um, what our research clearly shows is that most of uh, the folks who have been on uh, public assistance also work, Uh, and most people who are eligible also work, so like up to 80%. It's the disabled Mm -hmm. uh, elderly poor who are unable to work because of huge barriers uh to their being able to be employed and what is so perverse about the work requirements that our research shows is that by requiring these administrative burdens and people have to prove they're working
6: mm-hmm.
7: either full-time or half-time and put in all this effort when they're already working at least one job if not two in this economy because of low wages uh what it does is that it takes away ultimately if they lose their medicaid or SNAP benefits, it takes away the well-being and health they need to enjoy in order to continue working. So it not only is perverse in that most people on public benefits already work or who are eligible for public benefits already work, it actually could cause a lot of people to not work who are already working.
0: Yeah, yeah.
7: <laughs> and this on top of seeing reports like a recent Federal Reserve report that shows that people are stuck in these low-wage positions That's in the right. service economy.
0: That's right. Mary, I'm really glad uh, you're listening, number one. I'm also glad you called uh, uh, and injected that into the into the conversation. Really, really... Important points there. Um, I want
6: so to. I wanted just to speak to one thing that Miri sure. mentioned, which is the sort of administrative burden
0: uh-huh. that this is right.
6: going to be create. You're
0: creating all kinds created. of red yep. tape that people are going to have yep. to jump through, and that's not free either. Right. Uh, let's let's uh, quickly go to Daniel. Daniel, I've got about a minute and a half left on the program, but I wanted to get you in. Uh, welcome to Detroit today.
8: You know, I grew up on welfare, and uh, both of my parents, my parents were divorced when I was six years old. And um, I had three sisters, so there's four kids in our family. We bounced back and forth between living with my mother and living with my father. Every time we bounced into somebody's house, the welfare benefits would transfer to them. Mm-hmm and um, they were both terrible alcoholics, Mm. and I wondered most of my life if these benefits had enabled them Mm. to continue to consume massive amounts of alcohol and not get their lives together. Mm. But then the other side of that coin is, uh, you know, would there have been food in our refrigerator without these benefits? Because I'll tell you, at the end of the month, Things got real slim in the refrigerator. I mean, there were times when we were down to peanut butter and Wonder Bread wow. and water. Yeah. You know, our utilities got shut off three, four times a year. Hmm. Um, but, you know, did this enable them to, right. to remain? They were alcoholics most of their lives. Yeah. My dad died an alcoholic. My Daniel. mother got
0: yeah. sick. Um, uh, Daniel, later. Daniel, I really appreciate uh, the call, and I re- really appreciate your sharing that story i think a lot of us who grew up with not a lot of resources in the home can relate to that kind of double edged sword but but uh, gilda i've got about 30 seconds left uh, that 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 double edge of that sword really doesn't uh, necessarily address the fact that you know uh, the, again the long term solution what is that that sort of long term outlook
6: right and i and again i think that we um, need to enable people to um, uh, to do jobs, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have to look at childcare, transportation. Uh, job training, and be sure that people are, are on our trajectory not to be stuck in low-paying jobs because we want them, we want everybody to be able to support their family To
0: be successful. Sure. Yep. Okay, Gilda Jacobs, Executive Director of the Michigan League for Public Policy. As always, thanks for joining us on Detroit Thank today. you. That's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.